Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin at verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. Praise God. Wow, you look good this morning. Thank you for being here. It's good to see you. Um, appreciate the effort. Appreciate you being here. We were talking about this in the Ephesians class. Uh, some of you drove long distances. Took you a minute or two to get here. My uh, favorite Mexican restaurant is in Hoover, Alabama, a little place up on the hill called La Fiesta. And um, I've been eating there since um, they opened um, back in, I guess, what, the late 80s. And um, I've gotten to know the owner a little bit and talk with him sometime. And I tell him, I said, man, you know, I drive past 30 Mexican restaurants to come here and eat Mexican food, right? And um, so I know some of you probably drove past 200 churches to, uh, to come and worship the Lord here. So thank you for that. We don't take your presence here for granted. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's begin at verse number 1. It says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let me, I'm torn. I want to comment. I want to keep reading. Let's comment for just a moment. Those first verses are saying, let's put these things behind us once and for all. In other words, it's, it's, it's time to turn loose of some of those things from the flesh so that we can reach out and lay hold of the things that God has for us, the, the better life and the better way of doing life that He has made available to us. He then tells us as newborn babes to desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. And then verse 3 says, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, it's a simple natural response that if we taste experience something that's good, something that we enjoy, something that makes a meaningful difference in our lives. And this could be anything from food to the things of God. But anything that's good that we taste, there's a desire in us that's produced to what? To want more of a good thing to want more of a good thing. Now, this is true of all good things, and it's also true of some things that are not so good. Things that may satisfy something temporarily in our flesh, but not necessarily healthy for our lives. But I want you to notice that when it comes to the things of God, there, there is a difference here and the, and the difference here is because of the enemy trying to prevent us from going deeper into the things that God has prepared for us. 
So he's saying, look, if you've tasted and, and you've seen, as Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that I am good, right? If you've tasted of the things of God and you've experienced some benefit from those things in your life, desire more, uh, set your heart and your affections upon more, make pursuing more of Him and more of His truth and more of His ways a priority in your life. We have to be reminded to do this. This is not something that happens uh, automatically in our lives. Instead, we're talking about a deliberate and intentional choice that we make. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 4, coming to Him as to a living stone. Now, again, he's saying that as we come to Jesus, we need to recognize first of all that He is a living stone. Now, again, we don't think of stones as being alive. We think of, of a stone as, as being something stationary, a rock, right? Well, Jesus is both a rock, but he's also a living rock. He is a living stone. And so notice that he's saying there's an attitude that we need to have when we come to him. Because when we come to him, we are coming to him as, number one, a living stone, a living stone that has re been rejected indeed by men, but the same living stone that's been rejected by men is also the same living stone that's been chosen by God. So notice again, we have a choice to make here. Are we going to follow the ways of this world and reject Jesus also, or are we going to align ourselves with our Heavenly Father? Because remember, the same world that rejected Jesus, right? He's the, in other words, the same Jesus rejected by the world is the same Jesus chosen by God. There's not two of Him. There's only one of Him. And we're seeing these fundamental responses. There's a comma at the end of verse 4 because the thought continues into verse 5. And, and I love it when the Bible says, you also. Anytime you're reading the Scriptures and it says, you also, this is, this is like a, a, a dot on a map that says, you are here. In, the, in other words, it's a point for you to connect with this in a real personal way. It's, it's a place where you need to recognize that this isn't just talking about Jesus, but this is talking about you in relationship to Him. So we see that there's an attitude that we must have when we come to Jesus. We must come to Him as a living stone, recognizing that He is a living stone that has both been rejected by men and chosen by God. You also, you also as living stones. You also as living stones. So notice, he's not just saying for us to recognize Jesus as a living stone, but for you to recognize yourself as a living stone also. Jesus is a living stone. Now you've been born of him. If he's a living stone and you've been born of him, that makes you a living stone. The characteristics in him have now become characteristics in you because you were born of his seed. You wouldn't have to look around this room very long to figure out which one's my dad. I bear his image. I reflect him because I was born of his seed. And there are characteristics from him that have been passed along to me. 
So he's saying it's not just that we recognize Jesus as a living stone, but at the same time we need to recognize that we also are living stones. The Bible says it this way, you are bone of his bone, you are flesh of his flesh. You were born of him, you've received a spirit born from above, born of God's spirit, and born of the seed of God, the incorruptible word of God. So you now have become a partaker of the divine nature of God, and this chief cornerstone, this living stone that is Jesus, you come to him now as also a living stone. He's saying that you have something in common with him now. And that's good news. Notice now, we're coming to him as to a living stone, but also as living stones ourselves to be built up a spiritual house. To be built up a spiritual house. He's not just talking about a building, a physical building. He's talking about a spiritual building. He's talking about a spiritual sanctuary that we don't just attend, but we are a part of. See, for too long, we viewed church as a place that we go to. My friend, church is not a place you go to. In the New Testament, you are the church. He is the head of the church, which is His body. You are members of His body. So we could take that uh, understanding of, of this and say, coming to Him as to the head of the body. You also, as individual members of the body of Christ. In other words, he's speaking of a compatibility there. He's speaking of a union there. He's talking about something that goes much deeper than anything the flesh could ever produce. And we need to have this attitude. We, 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 when we come to him, we need to, uh, we need to, uh, rec we need to recognize this. I was trying to say appreciate and recognize at the same time. We need to preconize this. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Amen. We need to recognize this so we can appreciate it. We need to appreciate it so we can recognize it. Amen. That this is not just some loose association that we have. This is not just some, you know, a distant connection that we have. It's not like Jesus is your third cousin twice removed or something. Amen. He's a living stone. You come to Him as a living stone because you also are living stones. And He's wanting you to join together with Him to build up a spiritual house so that together we can offer sacrifices to our Father in heaven that will be pleasing and honorable and glorifying to His name. This is good news, right? Verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture... So he's quoting from the Old Testament now. And these are places like Isaiah, I think, 8 and Isaiah 28 and Psalm 118. So we'll look at those in, in due time, but let's just stay with what we have here in 1 Peter for now. Therefore it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He who believes on Him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe... He is precious. Got anybody in here that believes this morning? Anybody in here that He's precious to you this morning? Amen. See, we believe, and because we believe, because we've allowed ourselves to be persuaded, that's what this word means. This word believed here means that you have allowed yourself to be persuaded. How did you allow yourself to be persuaded? You responded to Him when He called you. You responded to the, to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. You have tasted and you've seen that He's good. 
And when you tasted and you saw and experienced that He's good, you decided to look deeper into it, to continue to, to, to look you know, closer and, and, and to examine it more fully and to experience even more of the good things that He has for you in your life. Let me caution you, if I could, please. Uh, I'm going to climb up on the wall now, not a soapbox. I'm going to climb up on the wall and I'm going to be that watchman for your soul, amen, that I'm supposed to be. And part of being the watchman for your soul that I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to warn you of, of danger and potential pitfalls, okay? So let me warn you if I could. One of the pitfalls, one of the mistakes that many people make is they come to Him and they taste just enough of Him to see that He is good to get some relief in their lives. And then they become stagnant. They don't continue to desire the sincere milk of the Word. We know from Scripture that there's even something beyond the sincere milk of the Word. Once we develop an appetite for the milk of the Word, once we spend enough time nursing from the Word and we begin to mature and grow some spiritual teeth, then what? We move on into the meat of the Word. Amen. Got any meat eaters in the room this morning? Praise God. So see, now we... we and so what he's talking about here is simply stronger truth. Stronger truth, stronger food, the Word of God is truth. So if, if milk is, is a reference to the Word of God, this is speaking of some of the basic things from the Bible. These are speaking of some of the things that are easily, meals that are easily prepared, easily served, easily eaten, easily digested. But then we come to a meat-based meal. How many of you know it's one thing to grab a, one of them insurers, right, and screw the lid off and drink it, versus making a... Uh, you know, a beef roast with, with potatoes and carrots and, and, and uh, uh, you know, field peas. And, uh, are you follow what I'm saying? In other words, it takes longer, it takes more effort to prepare a meat-based meal. It takes more effort to serve, and it takes more effort to chew up and swallow, and it takes more effort from you individually to digest a meat-based meal. Am I right about this? So we're here this morning... To, to present milk to those who need milk, there's always milk available at Heritage. But at the same time, there's always milk available. There's always meat available along with the milk. Amen. Amen. We're going to try to, we're going to try to, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when we, when we do fish around here, we always um, have some chicken for the, for the people who don't like to fish. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, we're always going to have some milk to go along with the meat in case you're not quite at the, at the meat-eating stage yet. Are you hearing me? But there are a lot of people who've been in a state of immaturity for 50 years in their walk with Jesus because they've never moved from milk to meat. And that's, that's because it requires more effort on your part. So we, just, we, we taste the sincere milk of God. We have some encounter with Him. It makes a, a change in our lives. Things get better. We experience some relief. And then we have a tendency to let our foot off the gas. And what He's telling us here is, listen, there's more going on than anybody's explained to you or had an opportunity to teach you yet, right? And one of the things that we see is going on here is that when you came to Jesus, you didn't just come to somebody who forgave your sins. You came to the chief cornerstone because He's a living stone. And you may have never been told this before, but you also are a living stone. So you came to Him as one who is compatible now with Him. He wants you to join up together with Him. He wants you to give Him place so He can give you your place so that you can be joined 
join together and build up a spiritual house with other believers, amen, that are going to make a difference in this world to the glory of our Father's name. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, there's always more to it. <laughs> there's always more to it. Father always has more. He's a God of more than enough, and he always has more. And if you think this is good, there's good or still. People point out to me all the time when we say good things coming. No, no, good things are here. Yes, thank God for the good things that are here. But we're not going to become comfortable with the good things that we have because there's more. Jesus laid hold of us. And when he laid hold of us, he put things within our reach that were out of our reach. And because those things are within our reach now, we're going to keep reaching for those things that are ahead of us. So good things coming is, is, is a battle cry. It's, it's to encourage you. It's in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. It says that Jesus is the high priest of good things to come. He is our high priest. He's our representative in heaven. And he is presiding over good things to come in your life. So there's more, see. So we got a taste. Let's keep, let's keep eating. Let's keep, let's keep drinking. Let's, 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 let's keep feeding off of him. Now it says that it's contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, that word disobedient there means unwilling to be persuaded will not allow yourself to be persuaded. In other words, you won't listen. You won't let the living Word of God begin to work deeply and powerfully in your life. And so the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It's because this isn't something that we vote on. This, this is not a democratic election to chief cornerstone. We didn't put 50 names in the hat and draw out the one that was going to be the chief cornerstone. God the Father, our Creator, designated His eternal Son as the chief cornerstone for what He desired to do among us and through us, both in this life and in what will carry over into the life that is to come. Now you have to understand building techniques, construction techniques to understand who this chief cornerstone is and what that means. In their building, they would set cornerstones at, at every corner of a building. If it was a square building, there would be four cornerstones. Each one of those cornerstones are important, but the most important stone of the cornerstones would be the chief corner because the chief corner was the one that would be set in place first. And once that cornerstone, that chief cornerstone was set in place first, the other corners were positioned in reference to the chief corner. Are you seeing this? And then we would go in between those corners and they would fill it in with other stones building this building. So the idea is the chief cornerstone determines the place and placement of every other living stone in the building. Think about that for a moment now. 
The chief cornerstone determines the place and placement of every other living stone in the building. Now, who's a living stone? You're a living stone. We hear people say things like, I'm trying to find my place in life, Pastor Mark. Anybody relate to that? I knew from a small child that I was called in the ministry and one of the ways I know that is because some of you heard me say this before, I, I didn't really want to be in the ministry. I wanted to be a medical doctor. But the Lord just, again, began to confirm that in my life and I, I really surrendered to that when I was 12 years old. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and surrendered to that call. And yet I still, you know, didn't really know the path. And I struggled with that for some time in my life and then I found myself in my early 20s I was a youth pastor full-time ministry I had a had a group even the youth group we were at Disney World in Orlando Florida and I was watching the Lion King puppet show and Elton John I think it was the soundtrack singing about the path unwinding and finding our place in the world Wally, I was crying so uncontrollably, I was concerned that they were going to send somebody in to take me out. Because I realized standing there in that room that I still hadn't found my place. Still hadn't found where I belong. Can I tell you this morning that it's not just something that you experience because every person in this room has a longing to find the place where they belong. That is not an uncommon thing. It is a common thing. In other words, it is hardwired in to every human being that has ever lived on planet earth trying to find our place in this world. Are you hearing me this morning? Why do you think that desire is hardwired in to every person that God has ever created. It's because God actually has a place for every person that He created. We come out of our mother's wombs looking for the place that God has for us in this life. And so we try and we try and we try to find our place in this world. We try to get in where we fit in. We try to find other people that we identify with because this world says birds of a feather flock together. We try to find people we can identify with because we think if we can find somebody that we identify with, we can somehow find our identity amongst them. And perhaps if we find our identity amongst them, we can find our place amongst them. This is true of things in the world, and it's also true for many people within the church world itself, within religion itself. In other words, they're trying to find where we belong, trying to find our place, trying to find why we're here. People have a close brush with death, and they usually stagger out of those experiences saying things like, there must be a reason for God to have me here, because I, or else I would have lost my life just a few minutes ago, right? We, we have that innate sense, almost an urgency within us, that there is a place for us, there is a purpose for us. There is a value to us. There is, a, there is an identity for us. And yet the Bible says the way of a man is not found within him. In other words, we do desire and long for those things, but we can only find those things from our Creator Father. 
So notice what he's saying here. He's saying, coming to him as to a living stone. But not just any living stone. Not just any stone, but a living stone. But not just any living stone. Not just as the cornerstone, but as the chief corner. Jesus is the one, right? He knows your place. He knows your purpose. He knows your worth. He knows your value. He knows what you're gifted to do. He knows what you're called to do. He's already seen you do it. He's already read the book that your father wrote about your life before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. The chief corner, He knows your place and you can only find your place in Him. Amen. You can only find your place in Him. I'm very careful. Very careful about this. We were talking about this in, in class. I'll use Daniel as an example. Years before Daniel ever expressed a call of God on his life to minister, I knew it about him. I knew it about him. I wasn't surprised when he told me that at all. But I never felt released by God to tell him that. Why is that? It's not my place to tell him his place. And if, if Uncle Mark tells him his place, then one day that's very challenging in ministry because there are some challenging days sometimes in ministry, right? The devil will say, God didn't call you, Uncle Mark called you. Am I right about it? There are other things that I've seen about a lot of you in here, praise God. Sometimes I, I, had, a, I had a conversation not long ago with uh, Brother Dusty Roberts. I said, you do know there's a call of God on your life, right? He said, yeah. So I'm right, just making sure you know that, my brother, praise God. Not my place to call him. It's the chief corner's place. And it's only when we are willing to give the chief corner place in our lives that he can give us our place in him. If we never give him the place he deserves in our lives, then there's no one in our life to put us in the place that he has for us. I believe it this strongly. You will never find your place if you never give Him His. Because your place is in relationship to His place. His placement in your life will determine His ability to place you in the life that He has for you to live. And let me, if I could, offer you one more adjustment to finding your place in this world. Your place in this world begins with being born out of this world into His kingdom. It's not so much your place in this world. It's your place in Christ. It's your place in the body of Christ. It's your place in our Father's government as it exists, amen, as a foreign government upon this uh, earthly soil, amen. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are in this world. We are not of it. We do have a place in this world, but our place in this world is only for found in Christ, in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God. And then our assignment in this world is to make a difference in this world for the glory of our King. Amen. Amen. So we give Him place so that He can give us our place as it relates to Him. See, we try to find our place 
in relationship to all the wrong cornerstones. See, some folks have made family the chief cornerstone in their life. Family's important. Family's important. But you can't find your place in the kingdom in relationship to your family. Are you understand what I mean by this? The chief corner is what we reference to find our location. So obviously in our building, you know, we use lasers now. Uh, what's it called? Transits now. But, you know, you also use string. Amen. You know what I'm saying? We pull that string, that plumb bob, that, that straight line. And all those other placements are pulled off of that chief corner. In other words, they're all set in place in reference to that chief corner. If you don't have the right chief corner in your life, you're trying to find your place based upon something that can never give you your place. A lot of people are trying to find their place in life using money as a chief cornerstone. In other words, all their decisions are based upon money. All their decisions are based upon how much is this going to pay me? How comfortable is this going to make me? Are you following what I'm saying? Well, so again, if you're trying to find your place based upon what's this going to pay me, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to find your place based upon the answer to one simple question, what's in this for me? Getting kind of quiet up in here. What's in this for me? Remember, selfishness is our number one problem, right? We can't be selfish and find our place. See, you're trying, you're trying to give someone, something else or someone else a place in your life that they do not deserve, that they should not have. Some people make geographical location their cornerstone. We had a conversation about this in class, you know. Going places and doing things because it's convenient as opposed to it's what God's will for me is. No, so we got we to gotta, we gotta give Jesus the place that he deserves in our lives. Let me make sure you understand what that means, and, and then I'll finish right here, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll, amen, do what's next. Are you still with me? When we, we've been talking this year, for those of you who are guests with us this morning, the Lord began to speak to us end of last year, and he said this to me. He said, my people are wanting me to do things in their lives that they have not given me the place to do. In other words, we're wanting Him to fix things for us. We're wanting Him to, to preserve things for us. We're wanting Him to, 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 to correct things, change things, whatever. But we haven't given Him that place in our lives to do that. And what we see in, in, in Mark, the sixth chapter, is when people refuse to give Him place, it, He's unable to do for them what He longs to do in their lives. He can only do for you what He came to do for you if you allow Him to. If you give Him that place in your life to do it. He can't save someone who won't give Him place as Savior in their lives. He wants everybody saved. Everybody says God's in control. Well, you haven't read the Bible accurately. And people say, well, God can make anybody do anything He wants them to do anytime He wants them to do it. That's not true. If God could make you do anything He wants you to do anytime He wants you to do it, He would make all, however many billion people on planet Earth, bow their knee and confess Him as Lord before lunch today.
See, we, we keep wondering. Where, and he even went on to say to me, not audible, but just in my, in my spirit, he went on to say, some there's folks that are upset with me. Wonder why I hadn't come through for them yet. Wonder why I hadn't changed this for them yet. Wonder why I hadn't done this for them yet. He said, he said they, they're not giving me place to do it. I can only keep what they commit to me. Amen or oh me? So what does it mean to give him the place that he deserves in our lives? It means giving him the priority. It, it, it's, it's more than just some token lip service. Remember he says, these people serve me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. means giving him the place in your life that he deserves. Where you set your heart, your mind, your attention, your affections upon him. Let me ask you a question. Does my wife Pam, does she have a place in my life? Yeah, a really important one. My children, now my grandson, do they have a place in my life? Yeah, really important one. Do my parents have a place in my life? Yeah, a really important one. Do you have a place in my life? Absolutely, a really important one. Does money have a place in my life? Absolutely, an important one. So we have all these different relationships and even things that not only have a place in our lives, but need a place in our lives. We could certainly make a case for the, the marriage and the children and the, and the ministry and, and the parents and all these things, you know. But unless I give him the place he deserves in my life, and that's a place above everything and everybody else, right? Now, here's the amazing thing about it. If I will give him the place he deserves in my life, it's, it's amazing how everything else kind of finds its, its right order. But if I put ministry ahead of him, if I put my wife or family ahead of him, if I put money ahead of him, in other words, if I try to find myself, do you realize how many people find their identity in their children? How many people their self-esteem and self-worth rises and falls by the success or failures of their children? That means you've made your children your chief cornerstone. Are you hearing me? Or you've made your spouse your chief cornerstone. Or you've made your job your chief cornerstone. Ministers are, are highly susceptible to this, right? Because again, after all, we're ministers, we're pastors, we're, we, you know. But again, Pastoring is not my chief cornerstone. Heritage Christian Center is important to me, and it has a very important place in my life. It's not my chief cornerstone. Are you hearing me? My worth is not based upon how many people come to this church, how many people stay at this church, how many people leave this church. All right? Somebody write that down and send it to me next month because I'll need to hear it. All right? Amen. Not, that's, that's, amen. Who I am is not based upon those things. Who I am is based upon who my chief cornerstone says I am. What I have is not even based upon what's in my bank account right now. What I have is based upon what my chief cornerstone says he's given me. Amen. Singers and musicians, would you please come? Those who are serving communion as well, uh, Pastor Rick, if y'all would come, amen. You'll never find your place if you never give him his.
Finding your place in life comes as a result of giving Him His place in your life. We could even break that down a little further. If you never know who He is, then you'll never know who you are. Amen. 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 As they prepare to serve you, I'm going to pray. You go ahead, Pastor Rick. You're not being disrespectful by doing that. Let me just pray for everybody. Father, thank you this morning for those who are in this room. Thank you, Father, for the things that we're hearing. Father, may we ingest this. Lord, may, may these words that you're speaking to us May we, may we take them into ourselves this morning. May, may they be truth imparted into our inward man, into our inward parts. May we internalize. May these truths alter our perception of who you are and who we are in a positive way this morning. Father, may we be more dialed in and focused, Lord, on on desiring the sincere milk of the word, on coming to you as a living stone because we're living stones ourselves, that we would not set you aside as, as, to, as one who doesn't meet our specifications, a stone not worthy of the chief corner in our lives, but may we embrace you for who you are and give you that place. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. They're going to begin to serve.